Welcome to TSX Quarterly, the podcast that brings you publicly available earnings calls from companies listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange in one convenient location. Gone are the days of looking through confusing websites. You'll find the important information right here. Enjoy the call. Welcome to the Smart Center's REIT Q2 2021 conference call. I would like to introduce Mr. Goldhar. Please go ahead. Thank you. Good afternoon. Thank you for joining us. I am Mitchell Goldhar, Executive Chairman of Smart Centers, and will be chairing this call. Joining me on the call today are Peter Sweeney, Chief Financial Officer, Rudy Goben, EVP, Portfolio Management and Investments, and Mauro Pambianchi, Chief Development Officer. Peter Ford will not be joining us on the call today. He extends his regrets as he continues his leave. Our commentary will refer mostly to the Outlook and Mixed-Use Development Initiative section of our MDNA, which are posted on our website. I refer you specifically to the cautionary language on pages, pages three and four of the MDNA materials, which also applies to comments any of the speakers make this afternoon. Our results this quarter speak for themselves and demonstrate, again, what we have been saying since 2015, when we combined the public and private companies strategically to affect these changes. Let me summarize this quarter in the following way. Our intensive mixed-use pipeline is into its second year contributing to FFO, and we expect this to be permanent for all intents and purposes. Our entrepreneurial mindset and culture and core competencies continue to drive profitability in land development through intensifying and repositioning our assets. Our open format portfolio is an excellent starting point from which both us and our retailers can easily change, and we are. Tenant interest accelerated through the quarter. This is off of our least occupancy of 97.3%. Therefore, we expect to see improvement, continued improvement in cash flows going forward. Pages 21 to 23 of the MDMA highlights in excess of 55 million square feet the updated net incremental, incremental density to be built with, with our partner share on lands within our owned centers. In our flagship smart CMC, we closed on 70% of the Transit City 3 condos, 439 units, in the quarter, generating $12.9 million in FFO, or $0.07, cents, with the balance to be closed in the third quarter. Two additional towers, TC4 and 5, 45 and 50 stories respectively, 1,026 units combined, are sold out, are under construction with 20% deposits in place from the purchasers. The purpose-built residential rental tower, 451 units, which we call the Millway, is under construction. And we are near completion for the launch of the next phase of high-rise condominium in Smart BMC named ArtWalk, with over 600 units. 
We commenced construction this quarter on a 174-unit rental apartment building along with 228-unit seniors' residence at our Laurentian Place property in Ottawa. And we also commenced construction this quarter on two purpose-built residential towers in Mascouche, Quebec, suburb of Montreal, with our JV partner, Cogier, with the trust retaining an 80% ownership interest. We have also commenced the redevelopment of a portion of our 73-acre Cambridge project for residential, condos, and rental, and other complementary uses. This project sits on our books with a $92 million IFRS value based on a retail rent existing in our 700,000-square-foot retail center, whereas with the recent rezoning, we are now approved to develop over 12 million square feet of mixed use on these lands. Um, Keep in mind, we do all this while simultaneously maintaining our conservative balance sheet with ample liquidity. We will only move forward with capital-intensive construction initiatives as market conditions warrant. Sufficient pre-sales have occurred in the case of condos and only when financing is fully available and in place. Additionally, on the capital, capital recycling front, we now have nearly $200 million in conditional deals in process so far this year at an average of low fives cap rates. The assets are non-core, and the proceeds will, will help fund our expensive development pipeline. The last 18 months has been an interesting real-life test of what we have been saying about our portfolio. That is, it is a strong and strategic one with a lot of embedded value. Now, I'd like to turn it over to Rudy Gobin. Thank you, Mitch, and good afternoon, everyone. Throughout the quarter, we saw tenants preparing to reopen along with a renewed demand for space from tenants previously waiting on the sidelines, but now ready to lock up new locations. The acceleration was both small and large tenants asking to be co-located with Walmart anchored sites, having just experienced the alternative, and especially those coming from enclosed malls. Interests ranges from a fast food resurgence to pet stores, medical offices, and even financial institutions. We've received mid-box requests from dollar stores, outdoor sports and recreation, houseware stores, and a surge in demand for larger spaces as well, from like the TJX, furniture stores, fitness, even home improvements, and full-line grocery stores. You know, and while 100% of the REIT properties include grocers as an anchor or shadow anchor, and 60% of the REIT tenant base is comprised of essential services, our essential services percentage increases to 70% in markets outside the greater Vectum area, where our occupancy rates are at or near 100%. In these smaller markets, our shopping centers are often the essential service hub of the area and are, in all cases, anchored by a Walmart store. The shopping basket size and frequency in these markets continue to increase. 
as segments of the population relocate from the downtown core. This not only strengthens our shopping centers, but further enhances the opportunities to intensify on our existing lands in these markets. Our tenants continue to work with us to adapt by expanding their e-commerce, product line, this delivery model, pickup, and space utilization, all while striving to maintain customer loyalty and sales. And we are there to support them every step of the way. As we have highlighted previously, Walmart plans to spend $3.5 billion over the next five years to make the online and in-store shopping center experience simpler, faster, and more convenient. This continued commitment to its retail operations in Canada speaks to the ongoing strength of Walmart and its growing ability to drive traffic to our centers. As you know, virtually all of our revenues from shopping centers are from open-air centers, providing a safe and comfortable environment for customers to practice physical distancing while shopping for their everyday needs. For Q2, we completed nearly 260,000 square feet of new leasing, improving our lease occupancy to 97.3%. <clears throat> With regard to our premium outlets, both are now, are now open and are at full occupancy. While sales were impacted during the period when they were operating only with curbside pickup, since reopening, we are seeing traffic counts that are already approaching the pre-pandemic levels of 2019, and sales have shown great resiliency, with higher conversion rates than in the past. With the pent-up demand and accumulated savings being reported, and the recent reopening of the U.S.-Canada border, we hope for and expect a strong fall and Christmas shopping season. By June 30th, we completed nearly 3 million square feet of renewals, nearly 73% of 2021's maturities. And finally, while small independent retailers make up only 6% of our contracted rents, <clears throat> they are an important component of the Canadian economy and our portfolio, deserving of our focus and assistance throughout this period. As Mitch said previously, we are built for heavy weather. Our high-quality portfolio will continue to adapt, intensifying with residential and other real estate asset classes, strengthening with an expanding tenant base, improving customer traffic, and a leading occupancy rate, and of course, reliable and growing cash flows. And now I will turn it over to Peter Sweeney. Thank you, Rudy, and good afternoon, everyone. We have continued to focus on further fortifying the strength of our balance sheet, even during these most uncertain times. In this regard, we note the following highlights for the second quarter of 2021 as compared to the comparable quarter in 2020. Number one, in keeping with our strategy to repay maturing mortgages and to grow our unencumbered pool of assets, Unsecured debt in relation to total debt increased to 70% from 65%, and our unencumbered pool of assets continued to grow, increasing by approximately $293 million to $5.9 billion, 
And as we maintain our strategy to continue to repay these maturing mortgages, we expect these metrics to further improve in the future. Please note that this strategy permits us further agility when considering opportunities and alternatives for a portfolio of mixed-use developments. Number two, our triple B high credit rating from DVRS permits us to continue to attract debt capital at low interest rates for longer terms, and in keeping with our strategy to take advantage of lower interest rate environments and pursuant to our refinancing activity over the last 12 months, our weighted average interest rate for all debt continued to decrease and at the end of the quarter was 3.27%. This compared to 3.46% for the prior year. This 19 basis point reduction is expected to yield approximately $8.5 million in savings in annual interest expense, while concurrently we have extended our weighted average term of debt to 5.3 years as compared to 4.8 years in the comparable prior year period. Also, variable rate debt in proportion to our total debt stack was approximately 3.9% at the end of the quarter. This continued focus on both increasing the weighted average term of our debt and fixing interest rates is deliberate and is yet another example of the risk mitigation strategy that we have employed to insulate the trust from interest rate volatility. And then lastly, number three, our interest coverage ratio, net of capitalized interest, was maintained at a very strong 3.8 times level, this in spite of the impact that COVID-19 has had on our operating results over the last 15 months and further confirms the foundational strength and stability of our core business. Also, our adjusted debt to adjusted EBITDA multiple was 8.2 times as compared to 8.8 times in the prior comparable period. Again, reflecting the business's strong and stable ability to fund its obligations with our continued commitment to our balance sheet. From a liquidity perspective, as we look to the immediate future and continue to manage through the current uncertain capital markets environment, in addition to the conservative debt metrics noted previously, please also consider that when factoring in our new $150 million line of credit that was completed subsequent to the end of the quarter, together with the $250 million accordion feature associated with our existing undrawn $500 million operating line, our liquidity position exceeded $1.1 billion at the end of the quarter. This after reflecting the repayment of $323 million in maturing Series T debentures prior to the end of the quarter. Recall also that the next series of debentures in our portfolio does not mature until May of 2023. 
and notwithstanding the challenges associated with COVID over the last 18 months, our business has continued to demonstrate its ability to generate sufficient cash flow to fund our operating needs. Accordingly, we anticipate our requirement for additional funding over the next 20 months to be limited to construction financing associated with the projects in our development pipeline. However, we are continuously considering opportunities to early redeem debentures and mortgages when appropriate. And with that, I will turn it back over to Mitch. Thank you, Peter. Sorry, I was muted. Um, we will now um, open it up to your questions. All right. Um, so just to remind everyone to um, queue up for a question, please press star 1 on your phones. And the first question we currently have in the queue comes from Mario Saric from Scotia Capital. Please go ahead, Mario. Hi, good afternoon and thank you. Uh, so one, uh, one quick question on the, on the development pipeline, uh, which is, which is clearly very large and, and very valuable. I think the metrics that you provided on Cambridge alone, 92 million as well as $7 a square foot implied buildable, uh, which is extremely low. Uh, so uh, the question is really, when you look at the vast opportunity that lies ahead of you, how do you think about balancing the vastness of that opportunity with potentially crystallizing a bit more value in the short term. Sorry, Mr. Midi, I'm mute again. Yeah, sure. You know, I I actually got disconnected right um, in the middle of the question. You were asking about Cambridge's embedded value. Uh, the, the, I guess the question is, uh, you have a vast kind of development opportunity ahead of you for decades. How do you balance that long-term opportunity with the potential in this environment, given the quality of the assets, to monetize some of that long-term upside uh, into your NAV today via dispositions? And uh, via dispositions? Correct, yeah. Yeah, I mean, we look at it. I mean, Exactly, you know, like you're implying. I mean, there are going to probably be situations where, I guess, you know, we're ready to go on, you know, let's say, you know, Cambridge and Pickering and um, Westside and, you know, maybe 1900 Eglinton. And so, you know, given what that may mean to us and our balance sheet, we might sell something. Um, if the price is right. Um, so this is something, you know, we will be monitoring. I mean, if everything we're about to start or able to start all in the same sort of, you know, day, so to speak, we would probably look to, to that. So we're, we're, we're keeping all those channels open. It is a good opportunity at the right price to, um, you know, to capitalize on some of that embedded value. We are also involved in exploring the idea of bringing in some potential partners on some of those projects as a um, another lever uh, of, you know, raising capital at market. So it's, an, it's another, uh, also another way of selling a part interest. And the uh, the 200 million of conditional deals that you highlighted at a low five cap, um, 
evaluation, what were some of the defining characteristics of those transactions that led to uh, the plan disposition? Yeah, they don't have the uh, they don't have the um, de development or intensification um, potential. Um, so one of them has a characteristic that you know is, is beyond that, but I don't want to get into that because it would maybe be in a sense de facto re re revealing what it is, and it's still in a conditional period, but. But uh, for sure, uh, that is a common um, um, characteristic, is that we don't see them as having uh, sort of any intensification or redevelopment uh, potential in the reasonable near future. And then maybe someone, re someone related in the MDNA, or I think in, in your letter to unit holders, you mentioned the expectation that uh, we could start seeing some fair value gains from your IPP portfolio. Would that be kind of correlated to the pricing that you're seeing on these types of transactions? Uh, yeah. Um, we we do see we had more options. You know, we were fine even a year ago. Nothing. We did not slow this program down, and um, we also um, may have even accelerated it uh, a year ago. But now we do have a tiny bit of a – Maybe, uh, I don't know, maybe a little bit of a headwind in respect of our options on the number of these properties so that weren't available a year ago. Um, so, yeah, we're you know, increasing leasing interest. Interestingly enough, it's not always and not all retail, but, uh, but also retail and then, you know, development options as well. Okay. Right. My last question is maybe shifting focus to the operations uh, Q2 showed a vast improvement in terms of same property and wide growth, uh, both kind of including and excluding about uh, that expense. Um, do you have any color or guidance in terms of when you think the same property and wide growth can turn positive when we back out the uh, the bad debt expense over here? Uh, Rudy or Moody, you want to take a shot at that? As you know, in, in the, the same quarter last year, we had a significant um, ECL provision, and that provision got smaller into quarter three and smaller into quarter four. Um, it's significantly less in this year, as you, as you know, and we've only seen an increase in tenant interest and an increase in the cash flows coming in. So depending on when the, um, the tenancies had taken their, um, you know, their uh, – their, their CCAA and bankruptcy filings in the prior year, Mario, the, the, um, and when it happened in terms of through the trustees and, and when that happened because the tenant, those tenancies paid rent throughout the bankruptcy period called occupancy rent, as you know. So, um, so those rents carried on, but those ones that did not go through it, we ended up taking that provision. So, um, when you see it through the three months in, in, in June and maybe see it in September, we, we expect just a continued improvement over the next two quarters. We know what it is now in terms of um, the, the variance, but, um, you know, same properties excluding um, was, was, uh, was negative. Uh, so so we, we see improvements uh, in each of the next two quarters. Yeah. Okay. Thank you for the call. That's it for me. You're welcome. All right, um, next uh, question comes from Sam uh, Damiani from TD Securities. Please go ahead, Sam. 
Thank you, and good afternoon, everyone. Um, yeah, Rudy, just back to the leasing side, can you talk about, I guess, the most challenged categories in the in the tenant uh, in the tenancy today, and and what your outlook is for those uh, tenants after the uh, the rent subsidy ends? And I have a follow up question as well. Sure, sure, Sam. Um, you know, it hasn't changed. Uh, the 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 ones that are most affected, and again, we don't have a lot of, of these, um, the very small independent tenants that are non-essential tenants who are, who are forced to close, uh, we have about 6% of that in our portfolio. They are the most affected in our portfolio. And again, the, um, you know, knock on wood, there's been no, no filings this year um, in our portfolio in the open format. Um, so... It's been great. The tenants who are carrying on and some are still struggling to pay their full rents, given that you've seen the 95% recovery, um, they're paying part of their rents and they're paying as they get their SERS funding from the government. Um, that will carry on. We are putting in place deals for every one of those tenants to help them, to help defer rent. Uh, in some cases, as you saw with the lower rent, to lower their rent in the short term and, and help them recover that in the, in the medium and longer term. Um, so apparel, small tenants, uh, fitness struggles, as you know, sit-down restaurants uh, would be another category that um, that that struggles because again they they did the um, you know they did pick up um, they did outdoor when the weather is good but when the weather isn't good they can't do that patio um, and and right now there's a with everything reopening there's a big resurgence of interest. It's, it's amazing what started happening in the middle of the quarter, of second quarter, and then throughout the quarter and even now. So we see, um, we're seeing some very uh, welcome improvement. I guess just on the, on the fashion and the fitness side there, you know, not really weather dependent for their operations. Are they, how are they doing with the reopening in Ontario? Well, as you know, they're all open. Everybody's open across the country and in Ontario. Um, limited in Ontario in terms of doing fitness uh, and, and outdoor outdoor activities. Um, but as you know, um, the, the fitness guys um, did receive funding and did receive government and uh, and, and uh, um, bank funding and stayed open. So they're still open. They're operating. Uh, they're paying their rents. Um, so they're expecting a resurgence, people coming back with the double vaccinated, um, you know, whether they implement that as a mandate coming into their premises or not, uh, is still all up in the air, as you know, but um, there is a very bullish sentiment of uh, our tenants in the open format space, especially uh, because the traffic has just been very good um, throughout this period. So, uh, you know, if, 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 it, if, if that traffic wasn't there, I wouldn't want to, you know, like, again, we're getting the interest from enclosed mall tenants of similar types of tenants. By the way, even fitness wanting to be now co-located in our, in Walmart Anchorage Center. So, um, yeah, it's been, it's been very positive. Thank you. Just lastly, you know, with the headlines we're all seeing about the Delta variant, is that uh, presenting a bit of an obstacle in terms of closing, closing lease deals uh, these days? In closing lease deals, uh, not not really. Um, you know, in Canada, I mean, they, they, that may be an issue in the United States, but in Canada, we've been carrying on 
Um, we are still exercising, um, you know, uh, our, 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 our um, good uh, diligence from a, from a uh, social distancing perspective in our properties, in our premium outlets, um, in stores. Uh, so this hasn't really been a, a, an issue here in Canada. The numbers are small, as you know. We monitor it. Uh, across the country, municipality by municipality. It, it did heat up a little bit, as you know, in Alberta. Um, it did heat up a little bit in parts of Vancouver. Um, but generally, um, people are outside and they're shopping. And our open-air format, you know, really makes a big difference in that, uh, in that arena, if you will, um, as opposed to the enclosed mall um, type. So, so not really seeing, and again, you know, things may may change, but not really seeing an impact on our portfolio. The interest is just, is just uh, again, ramping up. Okay, great. Thanks very much. Thanks, Dan. All right. Uh, next question comes from uh, Jenny Ma from BMO Capital Markets. Please go ahead, Jenny. Thank you, and good afternoon. I just want to revisit the, the question about your expectation of booking some more fair value gains over the next few quarters. Um, you had mentioned that some of it is coming from uh, some development uh, costs that you're seeing, but I'm just wondering if you give us some more color on sort of what's driving that view. You know, is it uh, is it a, a reversal of some of the write downs you took from last year? Um, is it changes in cap rates uh, or, or rents? Um, maybe just a bit more color on what you think is going to drive that over the next few quarters. Uh, well, okay, Rudy, uh, Rudy or Peter, you want to? Yeah, uh, yeah, Jenny, it's, it's, it's Peter Sweeney. What we're hearing, Jenny, from the appraisal groups and professionals who assist us in our portfolio valuations every quarter is that there continues to be, or ha there has certainly been a return, uh, to the marketplace of institutional investors chasing uh, investment-grade properties, including retail properties. And there's, again, a robust level of demand for these types of properties in the marketplace, resulting in uh, further compression in cap rates. So as we went through the quarter and as uh, we went through the property valuation exercise, all of the appraisal groups with whom we work uh, had the same comment and the same theme that as we think about the balance of the year, um, again, all things being equal, that we should expect to see some compression in cap rates and discount rates uh, on our portfolio properties. Okay. So is it fair to say that, you know, what the timing would be dependent on is maybe seeing some more data points in the market to support those valuations? Yeah, I think there, it's fair to say the appraisal firms, Jenny, are are there, uh, well, there, are seeing it already in some of the activity in the marketplace vis-a-vis -vis cap rates being paid or prices being paid on properties that are available. Uh, and when you translate, you know, those metrics and that experience against our portfolio, again, they're suggesting to us that we should expect to see some compression uh, over the balance of the year. Okay. And I, and I, Jenny, I would add uh, to that that we're seeing um, um, more 
contact, you know, we're, we're getting more calls uh, from uh, different types um, to 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 potentially, uh, you know, enter the space or you know invest further in the space um, in the last, uh, I guess, the last quarter than we have in maybe the last uh, you know year or so. So, so incoming interest in your property. Yeah, like just, you know, yes. You know, institutions and others interested in knowing if we're inter- inquiring into whether we would be interested in, in, uh, in selling, you know, at interesting cap rates. You know, uh, so there just is a, uh, kind of this feeling like there's, uh, you know, capital, I- increase in capital, um, you know, moving more more of it's moving into retail. Okay, great. Um, is it really just cap rate, or are we starting to see a little bit more um, confidence in the the NOI numbers? I know last year that was sort of a, a question mark. Um, is it firming up, or is it really cap rate driven with still some conservative views on, on NOI and NOI growth? No, it's it's not. We're not. It's not like. Um, um, you know they're not it's just some bottom feeding kind of you know what you know what can we you know how good a deal can we make here uh they're they're genuinely feeling like uh you know relative to everything else uh you know the all the scary stuff around retail um just got tested it didn't materialize quite uh, as advertised and um there's, I guess, a more, you know, there's a calmer, you know, more confident feeling around uh, retail. Um, okay. You know, retail is not going away. I'm sorry. I mean, the world doesn't work in black and white. Um, retail's changing, but it's absolutely going to be here for the foreseeable future for a long time. And people are starting to understand that it isn't uh, one or the other. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, you kind of get the feeling that this is a great test for everybody to watch and observe. Great experiment in a sense, and um, and now that things are opening up, people see what the parking lots look like, and they can understand the uh, the seamlessness between um, e-commerce and, and physical. And uh, so it doesn't seem as if there's this, you know, you know, don't talk to me about retail, you know, thing um, that was irrational, uh, but was there, um, you know, a year ago or whatever. So there's a certain percentage of that, and uh, and also uh, no, it's not like you know how 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 low will you go at all? It's none of that at all. Okay, I'm glad we're uh, all on the other side of that test. Um, with regards to the condo development, um, the new Art Walk project, are, are you able to talk to us about what kind of pricing or return expectations you're getting? Like, would it would the return be to a similar Level as you saw for for TC one to five, or has it shifted at all? Yeah. So just to remind you that TC four and five, which was the latest ones that we went to market on, um, were sold at um, uh, an average, I think, of eight eighty five. I think something plus or minus, um, and then uh, the. The property across the road, um, Festival was sold. They sold out their entire portfolio that they wanted to sell. I think they held back some. I think they averaged, you know, 
over 1150 a foot. So with TC four and five, uh, you know the, the numbers on that. Um, the REIT owns 25% of four and five. The REIT will own 50% of ArcWalk. And uh, you can assume that, you know, we're next to the subway. The one I was just referring to is across the road. So they, um, yeah, so you know, can sort of assume that we're, we're, we're expecting to do better on a per square foot basis than we did at four and five. Okay. Uh, now, how does that Yeah, I will tell you, construction prices have gone up. Yeah, um, but um, but it's no not nearly in proportion to you know the pricing difference and the ownership difference because we sold our respective fifty percent interest uh, our twenty five percent interest or fifty percent interest to our condo uh, partner there um, you know at a you know pretty good low as in low price but that was early days and that was also um, yeah, I mean that was that was early days. Okay. Um, that that is uh, the reason we're we're not doing it in partnership. There is simply because we want to we want the REIT to get the benefit um, of the whole thing, and we built the capabilities. But Center Corp, Center um, Center Corp were and continue to be fantastic partners. Great to hear. Um, and then shifting to the balance sheet, um, so you continue to make good headway on. Uh, getting more of your debt to be on the unsecured side. And, and it sounds like from the commentary that that number should continue to grow. Do you have a goal for that? Um, like, like, do you want to get, you know, is there a specific number in place or is it just going to be more organic uh, over time as you roll over mortgages and, and just continue to expand that number? Yeah, I think, Jenny, yeah. yeah, do you want me to take this for a minute? Yeah, I was just going to say, we're going to keep doing it until everybody doesn't want that and then we want to, you know, Property specific mortgages, of course, but um, Peter, uh, go ahead. Yeah, yeah, Mitch is right, Jenny. We, we don't have a specific measurement or metric that we're trying to guide to. However, you know, I think we've said now for a few years that our goal is to, uh, for the most part, replace maturing mortgages with uh, unsecured debt. And, and I think, as we've mentioned, it, it gives us tremendous flexibility. Uh, as we think about some of the development needs going down the path or into the future with many of the properties that we're going to be doing mixed-use development on. So we're finding that if a, if a property is unencumbered, it gives us virtual certainty on flexibility of putting any type of development on any part of that property without the need to engage with a financial institution on discussing security. So among other things, that's one of the perhaps hidden advantages um, but I think, you know, in a perfect ideal world, you would see us having a balance sheet that was principally unencumbered, save and except for the construction financing initiatives that we're uh, incurring. And to the extent that we've got partners on projects like apartment buildings, uh, as we think about the future, uh, you know, the CMHC is providing very, very attractive low rates uh, subject to taking security in those apartment buildings. So that might be the exception when we think about the future, Jenny, for many of the apartment buildings that we'll be building. We will likely be at least seriously thinking about mortgages uh, through the CMHC for those types of, of uh, buildings. Okay, great. Uh, and then one last um, quick question on the $200 million of, of assets conditional. Are those unencumbered? For the most part, yes. Okay, great. 
Thank you very much. I'll hand it back. Thank you. All right. Um, next uh, question we have comes from Tal Woolley from uh, National Bank. Uh, um, please go ahead. Hey, good afternoon, gentlemen. Good afternoon, Tal. Um, Mitch, I just wanted to ask, you know, when I live right downtown in the city, I've been seeing a lot more penguin pickup depots uh, over the last uh, little while. I'm wondering, is that business starting to get to a scale where it might make sense to uh, be inside the REIT, or just does it not ever really make sense inside the REIT? Um, I mean, I don't know if I've ever uh, – uh, we've ever talked about this before, but I, I believe a few years ago I mentioned that it's, it's certainly being discussed and it's a possibility. Um, so, yeah, I mean, we'll we'll continue to, to talk about it. There has been, you know, interest and in inquiries from other entities. And so, um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I wouldn't dismiss the possibility. It's a growing business. It's a growing business you know, rapidly, uh, both in terms of location and number of parcels that it uh, processes and handles. And we've recently signed up IKEA, um, and that's been going gangbusters. So, uh, yeah, it's a really cool business, and we're uh, well on our way to going national. We were at least some space in Vancouver. We're getting good coverage in Montreal and slowly but surely, you know, moving across the, the whole country. And, you know, like Walmart's uh, online grocery business, like they, they are still running a, a ship to, you know, direct to consumer, ship to home business too as well. It's, it's kind of hard from the outside to know, um, you know, how serious that is, you know, being, you know, how they're, how serious they're taking that. But one of the questions I wondered is just given your relationship with them, do you have, you know, is there is there a way smart owners could participate in sort of if they really go fully commit to a ship to home strategy that smart centers could participate in building some of the building or developing some of the infrastructure for for that business? Yeah, I mean, I will tell you that um, I, I, I certainly can't speak out of school here on, you know, things that Walmart will will be probably announcing, but we are involved um you know, on a number of fronts with Walmart, um, with a number of their initiatives related to, you know, fulfillment and distribution. Um, but I'll just say that, uh, you know, like a lot of retailers, you know, part of the part of the um, future network is going to actually be, you know, from the actual retail unit um, itself. So that's going to mean certain changes, uh, potential expansions in certain places, you know, for that purpose. And, yeah, we're involved in some other uh, other things with them, which, um, you know, uh, we call them special projects. And, uh, you know, that'll be, you know, that'll be something we'll, we'll announce sometime in the future. Okay. Uh, and then just on uh, leasing activity this quarter, uh, the spreads – on renewals were a little more muted. Um, you know, should we anticipate that, you know, given that there's been some acceleration in leasing interest, that'll, that'll start to improve? And was there anything specific in this quarter that kind of kept 
those spreads flattish? <laughs> well, um, you know, the last year was unique. But, Rudy, do you want to maybe give some sure. additional color? Sure, I tell. Um, yeah, I mean, as you know, uh, the renewals for tenancies happen six months, three months, nine months before the leases actually mature. So when we're negotiating a renewal in 21, that's actually being negotiated in 2020. And in 2020, we had, you know, we're in the midst of the pandemic. Um, so we did not, as you saw the numbers when we reported last quarter, we hadn't negotiated a lot of the renewals yet um, because a lot of tenants were wondering what their future would be and not sure they wanted to renew. And if they were going to renew, they would want to renew at much lower rent. So we are coming out of it. Um, we are negotiating now going forward for the latter part of the year. But this, but the stuff that, you know, we had negotiated and we want to lock up, you know, the tenants to keep, keep the cash flows coming in and keep the occupancy doing well and so on, um, it did reflect that um, that sort of notice period. Um, uh, so, so all of that is to say, you know, we've got nearly 3 million square feet of the 4 million square feet leased up now. We're about 0.7%. Uh, a large part of that, as you know, is Walmart renewals. And if you took the Walmart out of there, it would be closer to 1%, by the way, um, uh, without that in there. So... Yeah, it is improving, and uh, we we only expect it to continue to improve as as the outlook um, continues to improve. And and this sort of period behind us, this six month lag in negotiation, continues to look forward six months. So hope, yeah, hope that helps. Yeah, and I, I just looking at your numbers, like I I don't think you guys really disclosed like new leasing spreads. And I'm, if I'm just thinking about your commentary, fair to say that we would expect, you know. Uh, given the, you know, surge in interest, that new leasing spreads would actually be, you know, materially better than renewal spreads in the short run? Yeah. When you say new leasing spreads, you mean new leasing spreads in a, a vacant space, for example, as opposed to new leasing spreads in a new build space, because we're doing both. Um, so, obviously, in a vacant space, the new leasing spreads will be different and again, um, you know, coming through this sort of unprecedented time, I would say, you know, this is not, um, this is only going to improve. Uh, it, 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 a number of tenants, I'll give you an example, a number of tenants that are looking to come in in the new leasing spreads, come in to the portfolio that has never been in the portfolio before, which includes things like logistics or, you know, the types of uh, tenants like appliance that may be in a quasi-industrial retail or outdoor outdoor patio furniture logistics last mile kind of uh, even daycares uh, the furniture business for example saw so you, you have some furniture business in in designer de, uh, uh, depot type centers um, as opposed to pure retail shopping centers so we've seen a lot of those tenants move upscale and want to be with the Walmart anchored uh, sites now. Um, we want to bring them in to the portfolio. They add a really good mix in the portfolio when you bring in daycares and medical and, and logistics and, you know, people are doing the hub and spoke and you mentioned, uh, it was mentioned uh, before, Taub, with, um, you know, uh, doing the delivery right out of your, right out of your, uh, the premises. 
So as you know, Walmart is doing that, uh, and you know a lot of them are doing the click and collect. Uh, Best Buy is picked up on that now. So, um, yeah, we we see uh, a settling of that space with a lot of newer tenants, um, and they're finding their way into the right mix And uh, now that they've sort of come up scale. And grocery stores, by the way, grocery stores coming into the portfolio, ethnic grocery stores, um, you know, more of the organic grocery stores also calling us up about a lot of our space that wanting, um, being very interested in being in the portfolio. So the interest is, um, has been, has this resurgence in interest again over the quarter and, and into th- this quarter, the third quarter now starting up has been really good. Okay. And for some of the new asset classes that you guys are, you know, getting into uh, via development, like self-storage, seniors, um, is it like, you know, strategically speaking, are you only interested in building out your exposure to those asset classes via development, or would smart centers ever look at, you know, acquiring, uh, you know, a portfolio of self-storage operations in partnership with SmartStop or, uh, you know, same thing on the seniors housing side, because, you know, if you're, it might, you know, you could scale up those businesses faster because they have an operating component. I don't know. I just, I wanted to ask that question too. Yeah, we're not, we're not really out there buying a market, um, the finished thing. Um, so, but we've looked at it. I mean, a couple of cases where there's some you know, value add for some reason, you know, in the property or whatnot, but, um, we, we, you know, we keep our eyes open at that, of, of those things, as well as other forms of, you know, um, real estate that we're getting into, getting into. But we can't really <laughs> find anything thus far that that uh, comes close to the kind of returns that we get doing it in the from the ground up on our own properties, for the most part. Um, you know, in those partnerships, so I wouldn't look for a lot of that happening. But you know, who knows? We're up the road, that might, there might be opportunities. So we'll, we'll, you know, we'll, we'll keep our, you know, we'll keep uh, that option open. Okay, that's great. Thanks, gentlemen. Thanks, Joe. All right. Uh, next question comes from uh, Tammy Beer from RBC Capital Markets. Please go ahead. Thanks, and uh, hi, everyone. Uh, maybe just, uh, Mitch, going back to your comments on bringing in partners on some of your sites, can you maybe just describe the appetite from potential partners, whether it's financial or development partners, in markets like Cambridge or, or other markets outside of some of the major markets, and how that compares to, let's say, you know, a BMC or, or some of your major market assets? Yeah, so um, we don't know yet because uh, we haven't actually, you know, really tested it, um, but we're about to. Um, I would only say that it feels like there's, you know, just on a sort of a preliminary informal basis that there's a lot of interest, and it would be from all the above because some of our properties are, um, you know, substantially rental. Some of them are mixed, you know, condo and rental. Some of them... um, you know, our one phase, you know, not that many of them, but we do have some that are one phase and we have some that are, you know, multi phases. I mean, look at, look at, say, Cambridge, you know, it might be five phases. So does that entity buy into, you know, 50% or whatever of, of, um, of the first phase? 
uh, or does that entity buy into the entire center uh, with its five phases? So that kind of thing, I don't know yet. Um, but we're we we're open to all of it because we find the right partner and everything. I mean, the if the metrics or you know economics are right, we're okay with bringing someone in for all five phases now um, if, 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 if we come to terms or just doing the first phase. So we're pretty optimistic that because we're that flexible that we're going to be able to, you know, find a few good fits. And you'd be surprised at how many properties there are. You know, I, we keep mentioning Cambridge, you know, Westridge, 1900, you know, um, but there's there's 407, there's Concordon, there's Alliston, you know, uh, there's um, there's Point Claire. You know, there's Kirkland. There's Mirabelle. There's Mascouche. There's Laval. Uh, Montreal, by the way, is pretty hot. There's um, you know, there's Saint Jean uh, Talon. I mean, uh, and I could go on and on. There's you know, there's a lot of them. Um, there's more that I didn't name there that are candidates for this. So. With all that and the flexibility, I think, you know, we're rightly optimistic that we'll be able to find some, some entities out there that would be good partners, good fits for us. Yeah, no, for sure. I, I feel like the list uh, gets longer every uh, every quarter in the uh, in the press release in the MDA. It's uh, definitely been expanding quite a bit. Um, in, in terms of the – maybe just coming back to the, the 200 million of dispositions, I think, that you mentioned were conditional – uh, can you just again provide some context on the markets that those are in, um, and are these sort of <laughs> fully occupied, stable assets, or was there some repositioning work required? Yeah, I mean, we're sort of trying to stay away from naming them. In fairness to just everybody involved, the acquirer, and and just um, you know, if it doesn't, uh, you know, it's not ideal if they don't go through and. Uh, you know, we want to go back to the market, you know, but um, but suffice to say that um, one of them is just not our bread and butter and it doesn't have uh, doesn't have um, any kind of we don't see an angle for any sort of future intensification of any kind. So uh, that's one of the criteria for deciding. Um, also, that asset I'm referring to. If we're leaving upside for somebody who wants to, you know, work it and lease it and, you know, grind through that. Um, so, yeah, I mean, if we don't sell it, that's what we were going to do. But, you know, we don't mind leaving that for somebody else because it doesn't have the the uh, redevelopment potential. So, um, so I don't want to maybe if it's okay, I don't want to get into the geography um, of them yet. Um, but suffice to say, they weren't on our list of redevelopment properties. Got it. Um, just and again, maybe is it, would it be fair to think that uh, it's quite possible for for the REIT to you know kind of look to sell, let's call it a couple hundred million of maybe income producing assets over the next uh, couple years, sort of on an annual basis, or or is it really not that much in terms of what you would consider perhaps non-core assets in the portfolio? Yeah, I mean we're gonna we're gonna pull on that you know bringing in some some partners, potential partners on the um, development properties as a capital raising exercise, um, one of the capital raising exercises. So um, I don't know that we could say we're going to have this, you know, predictable um, annual 
disposition program, but um, we are looking to raise the amount of uh, capital that will keep our balance sheet conservative. And so, yeah, I mean, you know, we're looking at everything all at once holistically. Um, so I wouldn't be surprised if we do dispose assets as um, you know, as the years go on that would uh, help with that. But um, we won't know to what extent that will be until we finish this uh, this other initiative. Um, so, yeah, I mean, non-core is, uh, you know, not necessarily something that, I mean, core is not necessarily just something that can be redeveloped. And we've got assets in certain markets that are just, you know, Walmart, a bank, you know, beer store, you know, it's it's a blue chip in a you know in a, in a, in a smaller market. I mean that's very good income, you know. Um, so not easy to replace income. So you know it's not just if whether it's redevelopable or not. Um, but um, so we don't have a lot of non-core assets. But uh, if necessary, you know we could sell core assets in the future if. Uh, who is in the uh, service of uh, executing our plan and assuming our plan continue to make sense. Got it. Uh, maybe just one last one for me. Maybe it's a two-part question uh, for Peter. Um, Peter, just uh, your comments on, you know, potential fair value gains through the back half of the year. Would any of that include um, density value, meaning marking any of the land values up to um, perhaps the, the sites that are zoned, sorry, to their um, value per billable square foot? And then secondly, if you could just remind us on the development spending over the next, call it one to two years. Yeah, Pommy, uh, on the first question, the simple answer is no. Uh, the appraisers that we're speaking to are not suggesting that um, their value bumps are a function of um, enhanced uh, entitlements and additional density on the, on the site. So really all we're talking about are opportunities to improve values on properties based on compressing cap rates and discount rates. Um, uh, I'm sorry, Pommy, what was your second question? Yeah, the, the second part was just, uh, if you could remind us what we should expect from a sort of- Oh, over the next development spends. That's right. Yeah, I, I, I think our, our expectation, Pommy, is for 2021, we're in the $200 million range. In development spend, and for 2000, and, and these are preliminary numbers, and they're always changing. As Mitch said earlier, we we have every opportunity to pull back as necessary or or advance forward as appropriate. But for 2022, at least for now, we're looking at about 250 million dollars. That's great. Thanks very much. I'll turn it back. Okay. All right. Um, Next question comes from Dean Wilkinson for uh, from uh, CIBC um, Old Markets. Please go ahead. Thanks. Afternoon, everybody. I'll just keep it to one question. Uh, Peter, uh, with a couple hundred million dollars of, of non-core sales and the potential for some some market gains in the back half of the year, that's that's going to naturally delever the balance sheet uh, a fair bit. Um, in the context of how cheap debt is, are you comfortable with where the leverage is right now, or is there an opportunity to take that up? Uh, well, I think Mitch 
Mitch earlier mentioned, Dean, that you know we're always trying to ensure that the balance sheet maintains its level of conservatism in, in every possible way. And all of us know that we've got this, you know, I would call robust pipeline of development initiatives ahead of us. And it's fair to say that those development initiatives will require large amounts of capital, some of which will be debt. And as Mitch mentioned, uh, a big part may be additional equity as well. So when you do the modeling on, you know, those needs going into the future, um, Dean, I think it's safe to say we'd rather think about the future from a position of strength rather than jeopardizing or perhaps putting ourselves in a position where we might have to limit those opportunities and um, development initiatives down the road. So if if we think about raising capital, as Mitch mentioned, in, in selling partial interests to new partners, number one. Number two, to the extent that there are value bumps associated with the IFRS increments and that those two initiatives result in uh, improved debt metrics. I think that's just an opportunity for us to establish really a new a new level for the balance sheet. And if we think about the future, all of the things being equal, if we don't raise another nickel of capital and perhaps uh, there is no further compression of cap rates, et cetera, and we have to use that as our as our anchor point for you know incurring additional debt in the future to accommodate the development pipeline, I think it's fair to say that you know, we think we'll be in a good position, but, and again, I'm just, we've said this now many times over the years, our primary limiter or governor is our overall, are our overall debt metrics and will never jeopardize the balance sheet. We spent a lot of time and committed a lot of resources to ensure um, its viability long term. And so we do have the opportunity as we move into the future with these development initiatives to pull back as we see necessary. But, what does that mean? It means that at 45 or 46 percent uh, debt to total assets that we're comfortable at that level. Again, given what we've discussed on this call, we would see those levels declining between now and year end. And again, that will put us that will put us in a we think a strong position to to move forward with some of the development initiatives that Mitch has mentioned. Perfect. Thanks. Yeah. I just uh, simple. I'll add to this and say um, we don't have to do anything. You know, we, we do have a great portfolio, and so, as it is, we're not going to do anything unless it really, you know, is safe. And uh, safe includes, uh, you know, the low debt levels. Really, the only thing that really could bite us um, and has bit lots of people smarter than smarter than me and smarter than us uh, in the past um, because it's, it's very seductive. But um, being there, done that, and... Uh, you know, rather rather be on the ground wishing we were in the air than in the air wishing we were on the ground. Wise words. <laughs> Operator, are you there? Yes, um, I'm here. Any other questions? Uh, not at uh, this point in time. All right. Um, okay. And if there are no further questions, uh, uh, we'd like to thank everybody for joining us today, and uh, we will look forward to being in touch. Thank you.
Ladies and gentlemen, this concludes the Smart Center's REIT Q2 2021 conference call. Thank you for your participation and have a nice day. Thanks, everyone. Thank you for listening to TSX Quarterly. If you enjoyed the cast, remember to leave a good rating. And remember, for any additional inquiries, please consult the company's investor relations section on their website. See you next time.